Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. Uh, today we're doing something a little different. Um, we're talking about a book. <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't come up with a good way to... Yeah, we're talking yeah. about a book. Yeah as, yeah, as opposed to eating them, I guess. I don't know. Um, oh, no, that's Orcish Librarian. I know, but orcs are our friends, which we'll get into later in the cast. And sometimes this friends have good ideas. That is true. That but is true. Um, in this case, though. In this we, case, though. We we have another friend. Friend of the show, Jay yeah. Anelli. Yes, and, and I... Think. Think officially designated friend of goblins as well as as we'll I, talk about. I think so. I think Jay has always been very pro goblin, and this book makes it known to the world. Yes. So why don't we uh, introduce ourselves, and then we'll talk about the book and go from there. So um, I'm Alex Newman, found on Twitter at Mel underscore Chronicler. My pronouns are he him. And for today's episode, or for today's question, we'll just thought we'd do kind of a quick one that fits the theme of of the book we're talking about. Um, what's one legend that you'd like more story about in, in Wizard Story? So I'm going to go way back to a, a legend from Legends, the first set, in fact, to have legendary creatures. And and I'm going to say I want some more story about Zyra Irian. Irene? Arian? Yeah. I have no idea how to pronounce Arian? Arian? Name. Yeah, I've never known. Um, this, uh, she is an insect wizard, which is fantastic. A, a like I said, uh, a card from, from Legends. A 1-2 flying insect for black, red, green that has black, red, green tap draw a card. It's a target player draws a card. So it's... Target, yep. Jun draw cards. Yeah, kind of a weird thing from, you know, before they really got the color pie all figured out. But I love... This creature, A, I've always, you know, draw a card have, has always been, you know, three of the strongest words of magic. But also <laughs> when uh, years ago, six-ish years ago, I can't remember how long I've had my, my Jund Lands deck together now. Um, but when I was looking to build, I wanted to build Gitrog Monster plus Seismic Assault. And it just <laughs> really fun combo of I get to throw lands at you and draw cards for doing it. Uh, but I needed a Gitrog is only green black. So I needed a green black red. I needed a Jund legend. And at the time, this was one of my my forerunners. There was a few others that I was kind of looking at, but ultimately Zyra ended up playing really well for me. Um, it's she's cheap, three cost creature, so I can cast it right away. And with the card draw, it basically is kind of a, a, a safety veil for the deck if if I don't get stuff going early then I'm starting to draw two cards a turn. And having a 1-2 flyer as my commander means I can sometimes use her to chump block something big, and it, it's a great card for helping me kind of buy time to, to build into what I'm trying to do with my deck, even though it has nothing to do with the main theme. And, and since then, you know, we've we've got Lord Windgrace, who is a Planeswalker commander that has land stuff going on. We've got a few other things, but through all this time, I still have Zyra as my commander. So it'd be kind of cool to have some story. I, I, I'll i be honest, I there might be a little bit from way back in the day, but the stories back then were are kind of scattered and I'm not super familiar with them. So I don't think we have a lot about about this character. don't think it's super likely we'll get any, but I think it would still be fun. <laughs> also, Insect Wizard. Just fantastic creature type. It's, it is. It, it, it's, it's, you know... the. And not in blue, because I think of like insectile, like I was thinking of like a, a Delver. Mm, that's true. That's true. There's a lot of insect wizards on on uh, on Amstrad yeah. in, in blue, but not many not, in Jund on Dominar. I mean, <laughs> yeah, not in not blue, basically. So, yeah. Well, um, I am Hobbs Q. I can be found on Twitter at Hobbs Q. My pronouns are he, him. It's funny because I actually went straight back to, because once again, we did not even have a question necessarily so there was no time for us to share answers yet i went back to a character from legends also um and i went with the fact that like legends well it's just funny because we think of how surnames are used and how less than fantastical it was at one point where we have angus mckenzie (laughs) like we have our really good scottish man who is completely modeled after Tim the Enchanter from Monty Python. Uh, 
confirmed by Brian Wackwitz as I talked to him at GP Vegas one year and was just like, I've always loved this card because it's an enchant. Like you can use it in Enchantress decks and it looks like Tim the Enchanter. And he told me, he's like, yeah, I got the assignment right after I had just been finished watching Money Python. <laughs> so like, it's totally intentional. Well, you know, I was looking at the story that we have for Angus and like the Wikipedia page or the Gamepedia page literally has like a quote about Angus McKenzie being Caracas's greatest defender. Uh, his policy of peace through perseverance inspired the people of this realm to unite and drive out the malign elements that were tearing them apart from within. And he's also mentioned in the flavor text of Lady Orca. So I was wondering where that, you know, that line about the greatest defender of Caracas. And there's a link to a Gavin Verhey Instagram post, which he he had found a calendar that matched up with the year that it was. That was a Magic the Gathering from 1997 calendar, uh, you know, like one of those uh, pages a day calendar, like the tear apart ones where you get like a new character or thing every single day. And that's exactly where that quote came from. That is on like the Magic the Gathering calendar from 1997. And that's basically the entirety of our story for Angus McKenzie. Um, so I would love to have Angus story. I think similar to what, uh, you know, Alex was saying with Zira, uh, very, very unlikely. Um, but yeah, I would love to have more of that. Um, before we jump into kind of the, the main things that we are going to talk about today, especially when it comes to the, the, the topic of legends, because as you can tell, we're probably leaning into that theme. We just want to do a couple of housekeeping things and make sure that we give a shout out to the grinding coffee company. So our partners um, it, it, that have partnered with us uh, to be able to offer just great coffee and a discount for y'all. Um, they are a Black-owned, LGBT-ran coffee company uh, who just have partnered with gamers. Um, we also are coming out of, this is our first episode outside of Suicide Awareness Month. So September was Suicide Awareness Month. Uh, we, we did kind of a, just at least, we're highlighting that topic and we continually will, as we always do, talk about mental health, bring forward that. But I just wanted to kind of give that acknowledgement to September as we're, we're living it, um, realizing, you know, suicide awareness is not something that ends. It's just that mm -hmm. September is the month that's kind of devoted to it. So now my, uh, my time travel chops are not always the best, but I believe this will be our first cast coming out after your stream event. So no, no, no. the stream this is the event, first one we've recorded after the this stream. This is the first event. one we've recorded <laughs> See, after the I, stream I, event. Like it's not not great, but no. So I yes, and I thank you for reminding me of that because of the timeline, uh, the many timelines, much like Tarkir. Uh, we mentioned last time that when we were recording the last episode that Chase and I would be doing uh, a a we were doing a game together, and that went amazingly. I think it ended up uh, raising close to 40 a little over 4000 i believe was a total raised for nami so the national alliance for mental illness um i played 6 hours worth of games on that day including Quark sakashima that was not quite cedh but very few of those games went past turn 3 so they were not tuned in the sense of like full on but they they were we got in in a two-hour span, we played five games, which was just, yeah. And I got to win by, like, getting off Jessica's will, copying it, making a ton of mana, exiling cards, basically untapping lands using um, Frantic Search with Kark out to stitch in time and win enough flips to get uh, enough turns banked that I would be getting, uh, like, it back into my hand every time because I had... um. I had a Kark's thumb out, so the likelihood is that I would get to keep returning it to my hand and get at least one extra turn per time, as well as everything else. So I get to flip a lot of coins. Holy moly. That... If you get to flip coins, you're doing well. <laughs> That's fun. And, that sounds like fun. And so like, I just have to throw this out there. In case people don't know this, I did not realize the power of the if you control your commander cards. So the, the red one and the blue one. So the blue one counters a non-creature and the red lets you switch the target of a spell um it's an automatic guarantee that you will get to 
use that spell because even if you lose the coin flipped, it comes back to your hand and you get to cast it for free. Because <laughs> they cast for free if you have your commander out. So lose a coin flip, it doesn't matter. You basically just get to keep recasting it until you win. Sounds like just good old non-spike commander going on. It, it was I very it. chaotic. You know, you're at the mercy of the coins and people's decks definitely were not, not, definitely not made to take advantage of that. <laughs> but yeah, so that, that did happen. So we're out of suicide awareness month, but yeah, we, we raised money for NAMI again and we'll, we'll continue to kind of keep doing these things as, as we have the opportunities. Excellent. All right, then do we want to stop teasing the topic? Yeah. And just like actually say the topic? Hey, let's talk about books. Yeah, so we're going to talk about books. One one book in particular. We want to talk about Legends, A Visual History by Jay Anelli. Yes, Visual History. It's visual. very perfect for an audio format. Yes, I, I, uh, I very specifically have right in my show notes here. Uh, <clears throat> despite the book literally having a visual history in the <laughs> subtitle, which would suggest it being poor for an only, audio-only format, I think there's actually a lot for us to talk about here. Yeah, and I will say that, too, if you've not seen these books, so there's two of them out there uh, by Jay. Uh, so the first one was Legends of Visual History, and then there's Planes of the Multiverse of Visual History. Um and uh, th- th- while they are visual, there are also blurbs, which is kind of what we're going to get into today. And more importantly, the uh, cover art for the, the dust jacket for Legends of Visual History has a gobbo. We got a goblin. Yes. Front got and a goblin. center. We got yep. Krenko. Yep. Got front and center. Right on the front. So you know it's a good book. Oh, yeah. I'll say, and, and the book is, is nice. And I smaller than i was expecting it's like not super tiny but i was expecting a big well coffee table book we should say when we say smaller we don't necessarily mean shorter no we literally mean this is kind of a smaller dimension of a book yes very interesting these books are, are are done in a smaller dimension that i think than like you said you were expecting the first time yeah a little bit bigger than like a normal mass market paperback a little taller than that but um closer than i was expecting i was expecting this to be a bigger i know like by and large i don't know if coffee table book is is actually a common term people understand but those are usually foot i don't know i'm hard at, i'm bad well, at if you've ever seen any of the the art books the, yeah a lot like of the, the art of zendikar exactly. the art of innistrad it's yes. not those size large no books. and i was expecting around that size because those at least from what i gathered the idea is that you kind of leave them out for people to flip through i mean and this book fits for that really well it's just much smaller, which is nice. It's much more handheld, which I appreciated. Um, it was easier to sit and actually read through it because, as, as you say, there's a lot of pictures, which is great. There's a lot of really <laughs> good art, but there's also, you know, paragraph two paragraphs for a, a lot of these characters that are in here, and some of them get a little bit more than that. But I'm just picturing now. It's like this is a coffee table book for your studio apartment, yes. not for a house. <laughs> yes, for. You know, we, you don't have a lot of rooms. So you have a smaller table. <laughs> you have a, a small coffee book. table, and you need a small book for people to look through. Yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably enough for that, because virtually it doesn't work super well to keep talking about the visuals of this. Um, do you want to do want to start before we get into the actual content? So it's it's broken up really nicely by a number of different planes um, and magic, and then talking about a number of characters in each of those planes. And um, one thing we'll get into a little bit is the selection of that can be interesting. Um, But I do want to talk about the forward before we talk about that though. So it was a a great, you know, little thing about a little blurb by, by Jay, just talking about his experiences with magic, but right in the first paragraph, he drops Mm. squee goblin to Bob. Yeah. Talking about like one of the, 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 the rare in the, in the first pack that he kind of, you know, begging his parents to buy him a pack of brand new Mercadian masks and kind of opening it. There was the creatures and the spells and then kind of the rare in the back being Squee Goblin Nabob with art depicting a goofy looking goblin in full leadership regalia. If you have never seen the original art for Squee Goblin Nabob, I highly recommend going and checking it out. It's probably not the Squee that you're thinking of seeing. So, um, 
but this was it. It was like this was not only it, it was a goblin legend. Like and Jay said, like is that person so interested in story at that age? What it was a legend, right? Like just like you don't know, but if it's right there on the pipeline, you have a goblin that has somehow become legendary. Yes. And and he talks a little bit about, you know, what does you know, what does that mean? What's it called? Who was this creature who was cool enough to be called a legend is a line right from the, the, the forward. Like, and we talked about this a long time ago. I realized we, we did a, what does it mean to be an elder? I think we talked about legends a little bit, but yeah, that was like I think like episode episodes, like episode five, I think Joe and I yeah. did the legend episode. Yeah. The, and the, all the, we, well, we did all the iterations of legendary. Yeah, and, and yeah. so I, I, that may be something we want to come back to. But this seems, you know, it, it's a relevant thing that from a story standpoint, there's this weight. And especially early on in the set, the legends, like the legend rule worked very different. We're not going to go through the whole iteration of it, but just as an idea for, for people who didn't play back then, that was a long time ago. That was 94. Um, back then, you could only have one of each legend in, in your deck. And they when one was in play i believe the first iteration was you couldn't play a second nobody could play a second no mm -mm. if the first one's out you could not play a second one and then the the next iteration i believe was if you played it if you weren't the first one to play it and you played yours it would just disappear mm -hmm. and then we got yeah we got they blew each other up Yep, and it, it changed, you know, and at some point you could play more than one. But it was this whole idea that being a legend had weight. It had significance. It meant something. I mean, and even today it does a little bit from a mechanical standpoint. Legends um, get more stats, if it makes sense. They have a higher card budget because from design standpoint because you can only have one in play. Um, they also, obviously, Commander is a very big significance to it if a creature is legendary now it can become your commander and that creates different motivations for them to make different things legendary so that there can be different interesting commanders um, not just from story but then also from deck building techniques but early on it was all about story these story are story or lack of story but the well, idea yeah. that, that, that it was about evoking story yes evoking as, story. As, as we said you know the first set legends had like 50 or 60 legends or something like there isn't magic story for all of these characters i think there may be blurbs but there isn't actually stories that feature them because there's just so many and and i believe a lot of them were based off of like D, &D characters from the people who designed the set which is kind of fun uh, but so that's that's a whole other topic. So we've talked about that. Maybe we come back to that some other time, but um, I think, Oh, I had that's right, one other sort of general thing about this and, and we'll see how much we get into this uh, before we get to particular characters. It is interesting to think about when you look at something like this, when you look at the planes of the multiverse book, you look at commander legends and commander sets where they bring back legends from 10, 20 different worlds it's very interesting to look at and think about what exactly we're seeing because there are so many worlds and so many characters that wizards has to be very particular. They have to be very particular when they pick out who are going to appear. And obviously in this case, you know, we're having Jay who's the writer who probably had some input. We're going to have creative has some input. There's going to be things that are going to be more recency bias. Like the, the most recent sets are going to be in here like Eldraine and, and, um, and Ikoria were both in here, which would have been two of the most recent sets after this book came out. And so there's going to be some of that. There's going to be the Dominaries and the Ravnicas that are just well known. But then there, there is going to be a few that are stuck in there because Wizards wants us to keep them in mind because stuff is going to happen. And it's always interesting when we go through some of this stuff to kind of think about who, you know, if, yeah, especially... Like, we know that things have been seeded in the past. Yes. We know that things have been mentioned, but a lot of things get mentioned. Yes. So it's like, there's but, always, there's always some red herring. So just because it's mentioned doesn't mean anything's coming out about it, or it might mean they're building towards it. Cause if, you know, we've had characters from Kamigawa for several years in commander sets popping up here and there. 
and now, you know, in the last month, we find out there's a Kamigawa set coming in 2022. So there's things like that. Some of it is going to be them seeding future stuff. Some of it is going to be them putting down things that they can come back to. We talk about that a little bit in narrative set. Sometimes when you're telling a story, you don't know how it's going to end, but you can put down four or five different things now, three books from now, two years from now, whatever, when you're looking to figure out what you can plug into and you're looking to f- build this next step, you can go back, look through the seeds you laid down and figure out what works best. But in, in any event, that I think we've we've done enough vamping. Let's uh Well I'll say you just you know, since this is arranged kind of by uh planes, I'll just say just flat out, one of them, Fioria, is mentioned is the plane that we met, we talked about a little bit with Grenzo. Um mm-hmm. it's it's the high city. It's the it's the the city of Pagliano on Fiora is the high city and that is a plane that is been used in conspiracy. Now we've had two conspiracy sets. We talked about this a little bit when it came to Grenzo. You know, could we be setting up that we are returning to this? It's been a fan favorite in terms of multiplayer drafting. So either way, also, we just didn't have a lot of data on it or a lot of info on it. So this is a nice way to kind of maybe like package that. Yeah, and and to see a little more. So I think, I don't know that we're going to hit every plane. I've got a list of characters I want to talk about. Um, Also, one thing I I mentioned the Hobbs of Four, and we'll see what happens. He and I tend to get on long tangents and get... We, sometimes we we end up in places that our notes did not uh, cover but my initial thought is we i think we're going to talk about jay's uh planes of the multiverse book we said i think there's a lot to talk about on this one so we're going to try to focus on the characters talk a little bit less about the planes that we may mention some stuff but then the goal is then when we talk about the next book then we can extrapolate more and talk about more about the planes themselves in in that episode at some point on the line but so i think we want to start with ravnica i think we, we why not we love ravnica that's the first section in the book i think ravnica we, is um outside of dominaria it's the place magic has spent the most time at this point um and it's spent a lot more time there recently than it did at dominaria rec- you know in recent memory so for for newer players ravnica is very much kind of the the most common setting for yeah. for, 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 for a lot of what people have known. I mean, I would say that yes, I mean, Ravnica is a great. We've, I mean, there's a reason that we've used it as a framework for a lot of episodes. The guilds, yes, um, you know, the idea of the city world. I mean, there's a lot that really does set up. It lends itself nicely to storytelling and to episodes we've done. Yes, yes, it does. Even as as much as Dominaria feels like home to me because I started playing Magic so early, Dominaria is put together a little more slapdash because I think, well, not even I think, it was just they were building the world as they went. And so a, a lot more. And so you have a lot of different parts of it where this block sets here and then they need to do a new block. So they're like, well, somewhere else in the ocean, there's this other continent. And now we're doing this story there. And Ravnica is a lot more cohesive because they built it that way from the beginning. Um, but then to get into some characters, like we, we got to start with Krenko, right? We got to start with Krenko. Krenko not only gets a blurb in the book, Krenko also gets a shout out in the acknowledgement second at the end. And I just want to highlight those before, you know, just j- knowing Jay and his love of goblins. It is funny because his, his, uh, his blurb for Krenko says the alleged leader of a goblin criminal cartel yes and and then his and i'm sorry listeners you may hear us paging through the book as we go i think i just dropped the but um anyway and then the the acknowledgement literally the last paragraph of the entire book is finally a special thanks to krenko the legitimate business goblin who despite the slander against his name printed in these pages was gracious enough to still pose for the cover of it's just Great. Right. I mean, yeah, like, but, but it is true. It's like it's got the it's, you know, this has Krenko mob boss as the art that they do. So it's focusing on that bit. It's kind of more um, pre War of the Spark focus um, because it really kind of talks about him as being kind of like he's on the lamb right now is what we know about him. So you found car- cash in his pocket. He's just rebuilding his criminal empire. Whereas in that last we saw him was like looting businesses. Yep. Yep. And so we, we get to start there. It's nice to see Krenko get some representation there. Unfortunately, a few other goblins who, at least one who we've talked about recently, did not get 
a page in this book, but that's okay. I, I, uh, I, when this book when this book came out, I, I made a joke with Jay about like, well, how many goblins were you able to actually get in there? Yeah. And he uh, joked about like the ones that he had to cut. Yeah, and uh, I'll say because you go to the contents page, and then the the there's just a, a what probably would have been a blank page. There's nothing specific supposed to be there on the on the left, so it's just a, it's a picture of Squee, which I appreciate. Who we'll get to later. <laughs> he has a section later in the book, but then he also gets an extra picture just right there in the yeah, contents, as he deserves. Yeah. After how many years in the story? Like, come on, Squee deserves it. But um, we get to see Fibblethip in here, which is really cool. Um, I forgot that they did a totally lost where he's on top of Bolus's statue for no apparent reason because poor Fibblethip can't uh, can't catch a break. Um, poor dude, so I appreciate I that. You gotta feel bad. I mean, I love the fact that we we got to see Fibblethip go from being kind of just a lost homunculus to being a legendary creature, and I think yes. that speaks to that that fan service in some ways yes. and, and things that. You know, the way that they have had from, you know, so if you look at the art from Totally Lost, it's this lost homunculus. And I mean, there literally is a stuffed animal of it. I have it. It's sitting around here somewhere. Um, it's lost right now. But it's literally a Fibblethup doll. And it became so popular and became such almost like a meme. But at the same time, they use that to develop a legendary version of this lost, scared, homunculus version of Norrin the Wary. Yes. I mean, and, and it, it helps to kind of speak to how community focused this game can be. I mean, and sometimes it feels like it isn't as much, but at, at its best, this game really is, is the community is part of the game. And that's a thing where that was something the community really picked up on just from that sort of throwaway card, kind of a throwaway character. And, of, and there have been a few others like that who sort of then become get pulled in more but yeah Fibblethip I, I, I appreciate Fibblethip getting some representation in this book just um, and then I don't know I don't have too much else to hit specifically on Ravnica he does a pretty good job of of hitting a lot of the guild leadership to talk about story recent story in particular but a little bit of the the first couple Ravnica sets and I say recent story I mean more running up to War of the Spark uh, story but uh, if you don't have anything else in Ravnica, I think move on to, to Dominaria. Yeah, I mean, to Dominaria, which is hard to encompass in a chapter. Yes. I'm, it's, yeah. It is the most characters of all of these. It's, uh, no, it's a little bit more than, than Innistrad, which we'll get to later. Innistrad has a good number, too. Actually, Innistrad is more than Ravnica as well. Speaking of fan favorite sets, again, we'll get to that. Um, I do like how Dominaria section starts off with the five elder dragons. Yeah. Um, so I think that is one of the things that is very interesting, right? So, you know, we've done a whole episode on what it means to be elder and elder creature type, but to start out with what we first know of is the elder dragons. Um, interestingly, meaning that we don't get Ugin. Yes. Because mm -hmm. Ugin has never actually been just a legendary That's dragon. True. He hasn't to, to yeah. date. To date. Yeah. Um, no, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that, that about that, but yeah, you're right. He's not actually in any of this because he's, he's only been a planeswalker and this is specifically legendary creatures. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. They talk about the fact that we've got some, some, some people that have sparked, like we get bolus, <laughs> yeah. but we get bolus as an elder dragon. So, yep. you know, one of the, you know, the five elder dragons that were first showed up in legends again. Yeah. And and but and I think that's also interesting too how they structure. They start with Ravnica, which, like I said, is is kind of the more recent home of of magic among the multiverse. And then they go to Dominaria next, to, and then immediately go back to five legends from Legends. So all the legendary dragons were in Legends, or all the Elder Dragons were in Legends to begin with. So they go all the way back to the beginning of the legendary creature type and talk about these five dragons who not only were in that set and even people who played, you know, play, people who played back then, even if they didn't have stuff going on with them, you know, you saw those dragons, you were aware because they were seven sevens. They were massive, had a lot of stats going on, but also all these stats and abilities and had to be able to, um, uh, you know, you had to pay upkeep costs on them. Yeah. Uh, but also 
those five were the the in the creation or, or, or vital were part of the creation of commander just become the most popular format of magic and so it's interesting i think interesting i think it's cool that they're all right there right at the beginning of of that of that section of that chapter um we get Dergas too who we talk about a little bit in our uh, a couple of our, our previous episodes um don't have much more to say on him, but again, putting him after the Elder Dragons is, is kind of fun. And then then we get Yogmoth and Urza. <laughs> Urza, who I'm obligated to mention, is the worst. I have to say that in the next breath after I say his name. Um, it's interesting that we, you know, obviously we're going to get Urza. Like he is so quintess, so <laughs> such a large part of the story of Dominaria. Um but this is, it talks, well, it's, it's two paragraphs. It's a quick hit, and it, it is a, it's a good quick hit. Um, but I do like that it starts with, few beings are more infamous in the multiverse than the Planeswalker Urza. Um, and then kind of talks about yeah, whose brilliance is, was matched only by his arrogance. Yeah, talks about the Brothers' War and then his, his war with Phyrexia and preparing uh, Dominaria to fight Phyrexia. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because we get to see, um, you know, how they're doing this. Like, there's so much. It's like, you know, each chapter they had to, you have to, like you said, who's cut, who isn't. You know, there's ways to be able to to tell this. Because I'm thinking of, like, in two pages we get Merit Lage, which I think is almost, once again, a nod to kind of the cool thing that, or yes. a joke even that, that everything is merit lage. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the, we thought that maybe the moon of Innistrad was merit lage. I mean, there, everything that is an unknown gets called merit lage. And I think this is a really nice call to it because it's of what that is. But we don't get Mishra. We get nope. Urza. We, we get, get a Urza. mention of Mishra, but we don't get Mishra. Yeah. And and one thing too, and, and again, we talk about it's an interesting, the choices that are made, but also the templating choices here, because we have Urza and Yagmoth both get two pages. Um, a handful of characters get four, where they have one page with description and, and three pages of art. Um, most of them in this book only get one page where they have just a little bit of art and the paragraph. Um, you go to the next page, you know, Joda and Merit Lage each only get one page. But Urza and Yagmoth both get two because then they have the chapter, a little description, and a full page showing their um, Modern Horizons card. That was the set these both came out in, where we got to see both Yagmoth as a human before he became a cloud or something. Well, Yagmoth got weird. And then, <laughs> like, weirder than Urza. It's, it's strange. Um, Yagmoth got weird. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it, I think. Yeah, and then the next page, you, you get the same thing. You get Urza has one page of, you know, the paragraph of description with a little cutout of a, one of his cards, but then the other page is a full page of his art from the card. Uh, I can't remember the full name of it, but his, his card. For, oh, it's right here. Urza Lord Artificer. Lord High Artificer. <laughs> It's, I, can't, I can't remember his card because Urza's the worst. Yeah, Urza's the worst. Um, but yeah, so it's. It, I just think that's really cool. And it, like I said, the art in this book is so good. Um, but then on the next page, like you, you mentioned Merit Liege. I mentioned Joda. I did want to say something about Joda, which I thought was really interesting because he he's still around like in the modern story. He yeah. Was, he was yeah. in the, the, the books. He was in the stories back then. He finally got a card when we went back to Dominaria. Um, and he, I think, could be an interesting contrast to Urza. And that's something I think we need to explore a little more and probably bring on some other uh, story experts to talk about, too. But he is an interesting character who, who the more I'm kind of reading about him, the more I like him as a character. The more that he's not Urza. The more that he's not Urza. Yeah. Oh, man. So what's really nice is that we then get, you know, so... Leaving from this, we basically hit the Weatherlight crew. Yeah, you're right. And um, I, I just want to say, before yep. we get into them, just say, I just noticed, so not only, like, she has this full art treatment for on, on one page, but it actually bleeds into the other page, and a really mm-hmm. cool effect. It is a cool effect. I, like I, said, I do recommend this book if you haven't I don't, picked it up. Yeah, I think I got to stop talking about visual stuff on, on the podcast. I'm sorry. Like, it's... <laughs> 
there's a lot of non-visual things in here, but the visual stuff doesn't translate, obviously. I'm sorry, you were saying something about the Weatherlight like, crew, and then I got distracted. <laughs> you could just get by the art, because these books are it is a visual God, history. So good. Um, but yeah, no, we get the actual like Weatherlight like crew. Um, you know, we hit basically all of them uh, from the original Weatherlight saga. Um, so we've talked about them before, but basically we get Captain Sisse, we get Gerard, we get Tangrath, Miri, and then Squee. So we kind of mm-hmm. hit a good portion of the, the crew as it stood yeah. back then. Um, Not quite all of them, but most of them that show up yeah. in the stories. Um, I love this chapter because it also gives us, we get Slimefoot and Yargle. Yes. And I can say, Oh, God, I was going to talk about the art again. This the Akroma, <laughs> This is one of my. Okay, there's a handful of cards that I own specifically, and this is a weird thing for myself, but it's a handful of cards I own specifically for art that I have in just a different binder. And some of these are just ridiculously bad cards. There's a um, like Spawn Binder Mage or something, which was like I think one of the worst. Uh, what was the new ally mechanic in, in Return to Zendikar? The that, party? No, one, the, the previous one. We have to like co we have to like tap them and oh, tap cohort. allies. Cohort. cohort. It's yeah. like one of the worst cohort cards, and cohort is one of the worst mechanics we've had in recent years. So this card is awful. But it is so gorgeous. I got it in foil because it has a lot of the like cause like weird effect that just sparkles really well in foil. So like I have that in there. And then things like I got the uh, Acroma Angel's Wrath from the um, Angels and Demons deck because just the uh, the chippy art on that card is just so good. That's in the book, by the way. I think I put in our show notes. Uh, the page with the art this from the Angels and Demons dual deck is worth the cover price of the book itself. <laughs> That's my opinion. <laughs> The Love chippy that. art. I mean, to be fair, yes. chippy chippy is very very good art. Yes, and also that wasn't me being smart. That was the book be attributing the art to the artists, which is very very good. Anyway, um, yeah, like you said, it hits. It, we get Slimefoot, who is one of the new uh, uh, Weatherlight people. You know, we get Yargle, which is just Yargle, I guess. Was I mean, was fun. Once again, the meme right yeah that's, but, but you're seeing, like, that's the meme it's, it's like it, it's harmless fun silliness to the point where you know there was a secret lair where yargle is in the artwork of a bunch of cards and people celebrate yargle day because this card has a ridiculous power toughness stat yes and and it's great it's fun and again it's it's the game but it's best when it's the the community is when there's more yeah yeah when there's that interaction yeah and then one more to hit the last card in the dominaria section we get lyra dawnbringer with a quote uh that well that that is on the flavor text of the card that i still get misty eyed years after this set came out um lyra dawnbringer big fancy angel with the wonderful like stained glass armor that's part of the Benelish uh, stuff going on in Dominaria. And her flavor text is, you are not alone. You never were. It's a quote from her. And it, oof, it hits me every time. Yeah. The angels of Dominaria always. Yeah. Um, next in the book, just, I, I was struck by, and I think that this kind of is a cool part to do with the story. Um, I so much think of it being Mirrodin, right? Like I'm just so, mindset on like the idea of Mirrodin because that's kind of when I started magic um and it's funny because it really it is new Phyrexia that's what it is at this point we haven't been back we talked a lot about that on the show like what is it going to look like and I think this one is in here and I I thought of that intentionality to the Uh fact that it's named new Phyrexia specifically named new Phyrexia like it even though it some of the legends that are in here Mm -hmm. It talks about like the, the very first one is Memnarch. It's Memnarch, who is right? yeah, who who died at the end of the, the first mm-hmm. Mirrodin series. He died while it was still Mirrodin. Well, and and Thrun, the last troll, is in here. Yep, right. Like uh, Thrun. Well, Thrun stumbles across Malera, which is happens with in fact later on. But I mean, Thrun yeah. is you mean, it's, yeah. But we have these, but they it's named New Phyrexia, and it's very clear to remind us 
of the mathematical perfection plane once known as Mirrodin. Yes. Um, and I think this is one of those we need to be going. I and I, I yeah. I don't know. This is again, we 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 can't know. I don't know that this means that we're gonna get there soon. I mean, we know 2022. We do. It, from what we know of the sets that are coming out, this doesn't fit the release schedule. That now we but we've seen bleed. We've seen bleed. True. So Vornaclex showed up. But there is just there's also the thing that like like I said, some of it is gonna be just things that Wizards wants us to keep in mind. Well, the the, and, the the line here of the description of the plane, and I know we're yeah. not getting into planes today, but it oh, is. We don't want to get too deep, but yeah. Now only a handful of Mirans are left to struggle against the rebirth of Phyrexia that has dominated their world. Yeah. So and, like, it's a reminder. Yep. It's it's trying to keep it, and there's only a handful, a relative handful of, of legends here. But, you know, they hit Memnarch, who is very significant from the old story. Talk think, about Glissa. Um, yep. Of these bridges of those two stories, I think the only one really that's to me is the most interesting is the inclusion of Atraxa because Atraxa comes from a uh, a commander commander product. But we were very clear to know that this was a like an angel that was basically um, the complete victory of New Phyrexia over Mirrodin. Yes, that because he was a Mirren angel. Yep, and and that was one that. It's interesting. So, okay, I, real quick before I forget it, there was one previous legend in this book that is from a commander product, I believe, uh, Mazirik, who was on Ravnica, I thought was a commander release, which is interesting. But Atraxa is really, really interesting to me. So, because this was in the four color commander decks, and this is a place where story and mechanics can sometimes inform each other. And so um, wizards, they, they made, people have been clamoring for this for a while because we had the Nephilim, who are four color um, gold cards, but were not legendary because at the time there was no commander. And I think they, well, Mark Rosewater said somewhere, like head designer magic said somewhere that they made them not legendary, hoping that people would play four of them to make them more likely to be played. And it's kind of ironic that time has made that work in the reverse if they had been legendary people would be using them today as commanders more widespread but anyway so people have been asking wizards to do that so they did made this commander product that had the original partner commanders who were two colors who would partner to make four color combos but each deck had one four color legend and atraxa is is the not red and it fits mechanically they were looking to build a legend for all four of these colors or all five of these color combinations so that people could build them. But this also fits to help tell the story because when you look at the story of new Phyrexia, now eventually the Elish Norn starts fighting and some of the, you know, they, they all start fighting and some of these Praetors end up being killed, but the red uh, Praetor early on was kind of doing his own thing anyway. Um, and Urubrask, sorry, I forgot his name. Urubrask was kind of doing his own thing to begin with. And from what we, what we've heard, he was actually sheltering the Mirans because, and we'll get into this a little bit later when we talk about Hazaret. I think it's an interesting representation of red that's changed some of its early representation of just sort of black light where it's the orcs and the goblins are in red and they're chaos and they tear things down and that's kind of what they do but they're a little bit less malicious about it than black can be but that's kind of the only difference they're still evil quote unquote in in like D terms and we're seeing now they've been doing this more and more but we're seeing lots of places where red is being represented as other things than that red is emotion red is passion red is you know, freedom. And so for Urubrask, it was these people deserve to be, you know, do their own thing. So he was giving them shelter. And he also then wasn't part of Atraxas. So it's interesting that Atraxas is in this book. And if some piece of that will come back. Yep. I mean, yeah, I think there's a whole other thing. We're going to have to do a whole episode, I think, talking about the implications of New Phyrexia just colors just looking at how the praetors work because phyrexia in the early days with yagmoth was like mono black maybe yeah, splashing into a few other colors 
Yes. Like if we look back, I mean, it's it's more things that were aligned is where the other yeah. colors come in. Yeah, but he Yagmoth was mono black himself mm-hmm. in every incarnation, sort of, and, and well, in his cards, like his wills, his, yeah. I mean, Yagmoth's will, yeah. Yagmoth, I mean, everything that belonged to Yagmoth is kind of it's centered black. So all it's centered of, black, all of that early stuff, and now they get the the Phyrexians kind of without that influence of a specific person at the center of it. It evolved into this force that encompassed all five colors because it was consuming an incredibly mana-rich core of, of Mirrodin where all the five colors were represented. And then it created sort of this epitome, Phyrexian epitome of the five colors, each looking at the world, you know, through their own thing. And there, there's some really interesting stuff there. And when we get well, I mean- closer to... Even if we want to be just since we're talking about legends, the one in here, the the the, the only predator that is listed yes. is Elish Norn. Yes, the whited, the white Phyrexianized version of Mirrodin, and I yeah. think that that says kind of quite a lot based on kind of what the role of Elish Norn is. I mean, Elish Norn was the first card we ever got with Phyrexian text mm-hmm. to to really show that showcase that off. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I think that's a really a really interesting thing, and I, I'm glad you called out a tracks too because it's it'll be oh yeah, and Elish Norn is one of those characters that gets four pages here with an extra art and an extra quote. Um, yeah, I think that's that's going to mean it's going to be significant when we when we do come back to this at some point. I mean, well, I, 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 I'm just wanting to hit this because I know that you know I'm. I'm realizing we you know where we had for show notes like we we, we've been kind of as we normally do going more in depth (laughs) and detail but i think because of the overall theme um we've talked on this show a lot about that element of white that is too much tied to orthodoxy or too much tied to that and that is where we see elish norn being a flip Mm -hmm. in some ways you mentioned urabrask this is also the other way where it, it wizards was playing against trope or yes. stereotype of what white is. Yep. No, that's a good point because it's it's a little bit like um, the story for from uh, Kamigawa where we had a mono white villain and a mono black hero because this was again the the villains in a similar to Elish Norn sort of thing. I mean, what they were doing was very different, but they had a similar sort of you know force what whatever the cost is. I'm going to maintain order. I'm going to create order. This is a, you know, this thing is more important than all the people and things that it hurts. The order itself is what's important. And that is a extreme side of white. And just, you know, and that's the thing is early on white, we had the white knight versus the black knight. We had the angels versus the demons and in a very sort of simplistic element you know in, in a sort of simplistic yeah the very you know, tropey kind of trope. what we would yeah, expect very and, much to be white versus black evil versus light or i mean light versus darkness evil yes. versus yeah and and this is a good way to sort of show more than that i mean even early days magic did a little bit of it but it was a it was a lot more spotty um the set the dark is kind of well, every color pushed to their bad part well, and as we talked about, I mean, towards the beginning with Shivam, you know, it mm-hmm. was almost like the the way to make white that was to almost be anti-religious, right? It was supposed mm. to be like an extreme preacher. It was, you yes. know, the, it was Inquisition type that's stuff. Right. And, it was, and that's exactly what they did in those first sets. And that yeah. was... It was more just like anti-religion to try to show yeah, to, how to show white bad religion, be, yes. Versus yeah. the idea here that, you know... What I like about this, you know, for me, why we can all agree that Elish Norn is the worst of the Praetors is because she wants to strip all flesh away, which means goblin kind is probably not faring <laughs> so well under Elish Norn. I mean, as as so often happens in this show, I'm so glad we don't like do a lot of prep for some of these episodes because then you'll start something and I'll be like, Listening right along with the listeners, like, yeah, where's he going with this? Where's he going with this? It's, it's getting it's intense. Simple, it's it's and the then, and it's a simple truth. I'm yeah. a simple person, it's, and if we go that, back there, we cannot go back to a Meriden that that a Meriden that gave us Quark and um, Slowbad yeah. and just not have the goblins. So well, Alex Norn's gonna lose. So we gotta we gotta throw in with Koth, the Mirans, and uh, maybe Urbrask. Who knows what, what what's gonna happen? I I 
am fully of the belief that we can get Sheldred on our side. <laughs> All right. Well, that. We don't need Vornaclex. That's another episode. Vornaclex is already gone. Yeah, Vornaclex yeah, is, is very specifically like not about thinking, but the opposite of that. Yeah, we, All right. I, we're st- I'm still bothered by this. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm getting so hung up on Mirrodin that we're already at 50 minutes. Um, yeah, I, but, I noticed. Yeah, but at the same time... No, this is good. This I'm is just, all good. Like, because these are the characters that like that this is the geez, this is what makes the game for me. Yeah. In some ways, because it's it's their stories, how their stories translate to our our decks, how our stories yep. are built. But at the same time, we, we now we have these seeds, and I think that we keep coming back to that. And mm-hmm. the seeds for this to me is we have Vorinclex now showing up on a different plane, but is not a planeswalker. Yeah. Oh, that's so, yeah, and that's a thing. I'll be perfectly honest. I think I blocked out because I'm like, I don't want to deal with that because that's yeah, not good. There's right? nothing good about this. There's nothing good about a Phyrexian Praetor not being on new Phyrexia. Yeah, and nothing good. That just happened recently. Like we need to. So, you know, yeah, th- this, yeah. All right. Speaking of Alara, and that's our show for today. You can find the host on Twitter. Hobbs Q can be found at Hobbs Q, and Alex Newman can be found at Mel underscore Comicor. Send any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to at GoblinLorePod on Twitter, or email us at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support your friendly neighborhood gobsmite, the cast can be found at Patreon.com slash GoblinLorePod. Opening and closing music by Vinderdotten, who can be found on Twitter at Vinderdotten, or online at vindergotten.bandcamp.com. Logo art by Steven Raphael, who can be found on Twitter at Steve Raphael. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Tipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content, as well as magic content of all kinds. Check them out on Twitter at hipstersmtg or online at hipstersofthecoast.com. Thank you all for listening, and remember, goblins like snowflakes are only dangerous in numbers.